Thank you for joining us. It's uh, Sabbath, March 28. My name is Mike Barnett, the pastor of the Wall Wall City Church and Good Neighbor Church here in the Valley, Wall Wall Valley. Thank you again for joining us. I pray that God is uh, keeping you all safe. In fact, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father God, there are so many people here that have been infect, uh, infected with a sickness uh, in, in the world, and we just pray that you'll put your healing hand on them and they'll make a rec good recovery. Uh, I think of my own daughter in this regard who uh, hasn't yet been tested but seems to have it. I pray that you'll keep her safe, watch over her. Father God, there are others uh, who are sick that need your healing touch, and, and some have even lost a loved one to this virus, and I pray that you'll comfort them. And of course, a lot of us are concerned about the financial situation of the world, and I pray that you'll uh, ease uh, our anxiety and help us to, to bounce back uh, uh, to get through this virus and, and find a way to, to make life good again. Uh, thank you, God, for helping us to do that. And then also, we pray that you will guide our minds as we study your word together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, thanks again for joining us. We are continuing our study of the book of Genesis, learning with Abram in Genesis chapter 13. We left Genesis uh, 12 knowing full well that God... Uh, was able to protect his people, uh, Sarai and Abram, from all the things that were happening, you know, in the negative sense uh, to them uh, while in Egypt. Uh, but we were left with some questions because of that. We were left with some questions about God's own character, about the character of those people who follow God, and certainly our notions of justice and fair play took a little bit of a hit. We weren't certain about what was going on. Uh, when we're done with that story in Genesis 12. We might even wonder what the relationship uh, is uh, between God and Egypt, you know, moving forward. Uh, does either party, you know, hold a permanent grudge against the other? How should we today as, as Christians uh, think about, um, you know, Egypt and the people of Egypt? And thankfully, the Bible answers our questions quite well. In Deuteronomy 23, verse 7, we read uh, God's instructions to his people Israel, do not detest the Egyptians, because you lived as foreigners among them. You were the beneficiaries of, of much of the stuff that was happening in their life, God said. And, you know, there's no reason to look down your nose on them just because they also made some mistakes. And then in Isaiah 19, 25, God even calls the people of Egypt his people. These uh, texts, I think, answer our questions that God loves the people of Egypt, and so should we. And there's a lot more than just meets the eye when we see stories in the Bible about them, even stories that may cast them in somewhat of a negative light. Well, when we uh, left Genesis chapter 12, we saw uh, Abram and Sarah themselves, and of course, the entire line of their descendants, we were told in Genesis 12 that they were supposed to be a blessing to the entire world. And here they are being declared people not welcome. Ugh, right? Not, not good. But we're still left wondering about other things like this. You know, why would God protect Sarah and Abram 
at the expense of Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. I mean, almost seems like they could have been, you know, the people of Egypt better than, than Abram and Sarah. And, and Sarah, and that causes us some questions, uh, swirling around, you know, in the head going, hey, you know, what's going on here, God? Why treat one party better than the other? At the very least, both were making mistakes. And certainly one of the things that we see when we move into Genesis 13 is Abram begins to behave much better. And there's some reasons for, do, for his better behavior. But uh, immediately when we begin reading Genesis 13, we, especially if we know a little Hebrew, we come into a question. And uh, that question is pretty simple. We, uh, we see in Genesis 12 that it was at a particular time in, in, in Abram and Sarah's life that a severe famine struck the land of Canaan. And what's interesting is the word kaved, to be heavy, is that word that's used to describe the severity of that famine. But that same word is also used to describe how Abram leaves Egypt, which is very rich, heavy with riches. Now, that definitely makes us think a little bit. Why does Abram leave Egypt with so much more wealth than when he first entered it? I mean, considering his bad choices, how would he have, why would God have allowed him to profit so much from his bad choices? And of course, then the, the flip question to that is why were Pharaoh and the Egyptians punished for their actions? while Abram and Sarah seem to not have been. And Abram especially seems to have kind of gotten off scot-free. Um, and as we see here, he, he clearly leaves so much wealthier than when he first arrived. Why? And that's problematic. But, you know, I assume that the Egyptians were quickly healed of the plagues uh, that came their way when Pharaoh tried to take Sarai, Abram's wife, as, as, as his own wife, uh, I believe that God soon healed them from that. Um, and so assuming that to be the case, what we discover is that uh, there's a lot more here going on. And it even starts out when we begin this story with uh, thinking about Abram's riches. Were they really a blessing to him or were they a curse? or maybe a blessing and a curse. I mean, what does the Bible go on to say to tell us regarding Abram's wealth? So we, we read in Genesis chapter 12, verse 16, that Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts, lots of gifts, when he took Sarai, you know, or attempted to take Sarai as his own wife. He gave Abram sheep and goats and cattle and male and female donkeys and male and female servants and even camels, a, a bit of a rarity to give as a gift anyway. Well, it turns out the outwork, that the outworking of Abram's poor choices is lying and so on in Egypt. That The consequences of doing that were worse than being disciplined by God. The plagues that fell on the Egyptians uh, and God's implicit, I think, healing of them made their bad experience rather short-lived. But the consequences of Abram and Sarah's lying, well, that reverberated throughout their entire lifetime. In fact, even beyond their lifetime. 
What do I mean by that? Well, this little verse actually contains a bit of a nuclear bomb that's going to explode inside Abram and Sarai's family. And we're talking about the female servants that were given to them uh, as a result of this lie that they told Pharaoh. Later in the story of Genesis, we're going to read about an Egyptian female servant whose name is Hagar. And she's going to give birth to Abram's own son, uh, who will be named Ishmael. And the relationship between Ishmael's descendants and Abraham's descendants still reveals conflict to this very day. Human choices, our human choices, matter. Now, it's going to be a few chapters before we're going to see all that play out. Uh, but right now, we're kind of forewarned uh, regarding the consequences. They're going to be tough to live with uh, for the Jewish people. What seemed like maybe an awesome boatload of gain, you know, sheep and goats and cattle and camels and servants and donkeys and all that kind of stuff, that was ill-gotten gain. And it's going to come back to bite not only Abram and Sarai, but also the entire uh, Jewish family for a long, long time. But even in the immediate sense, Abram's newly acquired wealth uh, brings to him a newly acquired problem. Abram, you'll remember, he came out of Egypt, you know, uh, having faced a serious problem. Someone was taking his wife, but he immediately finds himself with another problem. And this is a, a problem uh, within his own family. And this is where we pick up our story in Genesis chapter 13. So in, in Genesis 13, we begin reading, So Abram left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev, along with his wife and Lot and all that they owned. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. From the Negev, they continued traveling by stages toward Bethel, and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshiped the Lord again. Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy, with flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. And so disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. At that time, Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land. Finally, Abram said to Lot, let's, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we're close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land to the right. But if you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go to the left. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoir. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the Garden of the Lord, or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was, of course, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. 
he went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south and east and west. I'm giving you all this land. I'm giving you all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction because I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamre, and there he built another altar to the Lord. Our story in Genesis 13 seems incredibly familiar to us. It's almost like we've heard it before, and that familiarity helps us see what's happening in Abram's mind and heart. When we move on to Genesis 13, verse 1, we see that, once again, Abram is uh, traveling, and he has with him his family, especially he has Lot with him. Lot leaves with Abram on this journey of faith. They are traveling together on this journey of faith. And their entire party uh, travels in Genesis chapter 13, now in reverse, taking the very same route that they had taken earlier. And uh, they stop at the very same place that they had stopped before. All of this brings about a little bit of a deja vu for us as we, as we read. And there's a reason for that. I mean, earlier we had read even specific things about Bethel on one side and I to the other side and, and how Abram had built an, an altar and he'd worshiped the Lord and, and how he had traveled by stages toward the Negev. But now it's that reverse side. From the Negev, they travel by stages back to Bethel and, and in the area of Ai. And it's the exact place they had camped before, the same place where Abram, in fact, had built an altar to, to worship the Lord. And he worships the Lord again. What's going on? In this repetition, we see that Abram is actually reversing his course, not just geographically, but spiritually. He knows that he has made poor choices regarding his wife, uh, the lies that he had her tell and the lies that he told uh, to the Egyptian people. And he's trying to find his way back to God again. And so what does he do? He simply reverses his course. He uh, comes back uh, and he begins to worship the Lord in the Bethel area again. Now, the book of Jeremiah tells us that God draws us to him he draws us back to himself, even, uh, with cords of love. And Abram is here responding to the drawing uh, power uh, of the love of God in his life. And he is attempting to reconnect with God. He's responding to the Lord's love, drawing him back. And sure enough, he's, he's taken these reverse steps, and he seems to be successful at it. And the reason I I believe that he is successful at it is because, first off, God has made it possible 
for us to connect with him in the first place. And certainly he made it possible for us to reconnect him when we've fallen away. And I believe that Abram was successful also because we see it in his behavior. The results of his reconnecting with God show up in how he treats his nephew Lot. Now, in that story, you know, it's important because Abram is treating someone he's in conflict with, people who should have been more respectful to him, respectful enough to allow him to choose first. Yet Abram willingly gives all that up just so he can make sure that things are good between him and his family. Do you and I, do you and I need to reverse our course in some way right now? Maybe we've taken back into our lives some things that we earlier gave up, uh, and now we're discovering that these things, not only were they a snare to us in the past, they're a snare to us now, uh, and maybe we need to give them up again. Or maybe we've left off activities that we once embraced, you know? We came to God, we studied our Bible, we prayed, maybe we shared our faith with others, we worked in the community to be a help to people. Maybe we've left off those things and filled our lives with things less important or maybe unimportant things. And maybe we need to retrace our steps uh, here as well. Now, you might be thinking, Mike, you know, uh, I can't leave my house right now. I'm quarantined. What can I possibly do? Well, most of us have a phone and uh, most of us have a church directory. Maybe there's some people that we've been putting off getting to know. And now would be a great chance to give him a call and say, hey, you know, how are you doing? Do you need anything? Can, can I help you in some way? Can I pray for you? And you can do that right over the phone. You can call other people, family, friends as well. But I'm, I'm saying that you can reach out to people even while you're stuck at home. Lots of people do it. I've been doing it. And I hope you've been doing it as well we can still behave like the like God's people, even though we're quarantined, it seems to me. Well, one of the things that we also see, in, and I, as I mentioned about Abram's behavior, you know, and how it, it improved, is we see the results of his reconnecting with God and how he handled this conflict that broke out between him and his nephew Lot. Uh, probably the conflict was over, you know, watering and grazing and maybe even, you know, bedding down the animals in the best place, whatever. Sometimes we, we and our families uh, get into some conflict with someone else. Sometimes we get in a conflict with each other, but sometimes we get in a conflict with, with other people as well. And the question is, how, how should we handle our conflicts? How should we do it? Should we, you know, like escalate things? You know, I'm going to take it to you and I'm going to come out the winner here. Um, should we bring other people, you know, into our mess and see if we can gain a whole bunch of supporters, maybe triangulate somebody into the, to the mess that we've created? Um, how should we deal with conflicts? How should we deal with the conflicts that somebody else embroils us in? You know, how should we do that? And the story of Abram offers us a wonderful, amazing model of conflict resolution. We see in, in, in this wonderful model of conflict resolution that first, like Abram, 
we need to make a firm choice to peacefully end the conflict, not just let it keep going on, not be passive about it, or let alone passive aggressive about it, or maybe even, you know, again, escalate it. We, don't, we need to make a firm choice to peacefully end it, end the conflict. And secondly, we need to do, deal directly and honestly with the very people we're, you know, in uh, the conflict with. Yet at the same time, like Abram, we need to not stand on our own rights and nurse our own hurts. He clearly did not do that. Instead, we need to humble ourselves and we need to initiate a reconciliation. Doesn't matter who started it, and we certainly aren't going to be better served or they'd be better served if we decide that we're going to do absolutely nothing because they are certainly the people who should be apologizing to us. That may be the case. It may be true, but that should never keep us from humbling ourselves and moving forward first to reconcile. Now, Abram was clearly the senior member of the family, and probably it's true that he had the most amount of wealth, but none of that, nothing prevented him from humbling himself. He could have insisted on his rights. He could have even very mean, harshly, very meanly, harshly, um, made Lot submit, but he did not do any of that. Instead, Abram humbled himself. He did not stand on his rights and his prerogatives. He graciously allowed his younger nephew Lot to, to pick first. Here, it seems to me, is real conflict resolution. The Bible tells us that as followers of Jesus, we are actually children of Abraham. And Jesus made it very clear, if we are Abraham's children, we are supposed to act like Abraham's children, right? And that's, that's what he said to the Jewish leaders. Now, if you were Abraham's children, you wouldn't be doing this. And that, I think, is something we should take it to heart as well. If we're Abraham's children and we're in a conflict, we'll deal with it like Abraham did. And then we truly will be Abraham's children. Well, the same God who drew Abraham back into a relationship with him, that same God is able to draw us back into a relationship uh, with him as well. And the results are going to be the same. They, they should be the same, right? We will be enabled, if we're in a relationship with God, we will be enabled to humble ourselves and treat other people graciously. Treat other people perhaps better than they deserve maybe as, as certainly giving them what they need and not worrying about what they, they, what they deserve. Now, I suspect that, you know, Lot came to this meeting and he did not have a humble spirit. He was ready to fight for what he wanted. And I suspect that because we immediately read of his selfishness. He takes a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley, right? He spent his time during this meeting looking at the best land that he could see. And, and probably he's thinking, you know, if my uncle Abram is foolish enough to, you know, let me pick first, then I'm going to get the best that I can get. I'm going to come out of this knowing that I'm going to get more than, than he does. Yet in this very verse, we also see that what Lot thought was best certainly was not. 
because that hint says this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, what's interesting also is that Sodom and Gomorrah, they're not actually in the land of Canaan. So Lot's choice to, uh, to go there is going to place him now outside of God's direction for Abram and his family. A lot is about, as it were, to stop his journey of faith, not entirely in a spiritual sense of the term, but certainly physically, and that's going to impact him spiritually big time. And it's certainly going to impact all of his family members, right? Big time impacted. The journey of faith stops when he moves away from the land of Canaan and goes to Sodom and Gomorrah. So, this is, of course, the reason why that Lot and his family do not inherit a part of the land that's going to come to Abram's descendants. Unlike Canaan, Sodom and Gomorrah did not need rainfall in order to be productive. And that's the reason why Lot chose uh, uh, that area over the land of Canaan. But the question comes to us, is that the best rationale for making the choice? The Bible says no, no. The Bible tells us that Lot deliberately chose the company of sinners rather than continuing to live in an area that needed rain in order to be productive. And that meant you needed to trust God in order for that rain to fall. Easy living was more important to Lot than holy living. Are you and I making the same mistake that Lot and his family made? What grounds do we use when we make our day-to-day -day decisions? What do we consider to be the most important factors when we make our choices? Do we think first and primarily, uh, what is this going to do with my relationship with God? Is that what's first on our mind? Well, Abram followed up his graciousness with his uh, nephew Lot by, you know, moving and, and camping in the area of Hebron. And, and there, Abram builds another altar to the Lord and he worships him. Here we see Abram consciously saying, I'm going to stay in God's will. I'm going to stay in the land of Canaan. I'm on a journey of faith with God and I'm going to continue it. Uh, and there he builds an altar, and he continues to worship the Lord. And you can see that his, his faith is slowly growing in making this decision. Are you and I staying in God's will for our lives? Are we personally spending time with God as Abram did, regularly worshiping God? Well, Let's summarize a little bit of what we've learned from Genesis chapter 13. We saw that Abram was capable, and certainly God wanted him to, learn from his mistakes. When he pushed God off to the side and began telling lies and that kind of stuff, he reversed his step. He retraced his path. Are you and I reconnecting with God? Yeah, we, we make mistakes. We may be making some right now. Are we retracing our steps? Maybe we should leave off things we've taken on that we, you know, they're a snare to us. They were then, they are now. Leave them off. Maybe we need to embrace again Bible study and prayer and, you know, sharing our faith, being a help in the community. Maybe we've pushed those things to the side 
taken on something else unimportant or less important. Can we learn from our mistakes? Do we humble ourselves in order to resolve conflicts? Pastors see plenty of conflicts within church uh, people's lives. We wished we didn't, quite frankly. And, and sometimes, you know, people like me, I'm, I get accused of saying, well, you know, it's too easy. Your idea of conflict resolution, too easy. Well, it sure worked well for Abram, didn't it? Can't we just make that decision to humble ourselves? I think we can. I think God will enable us to do that. And, and we see the good that came to Abram's life afterwards. And we see the ugliness that came to Lot's life afterwards. Which path do we want to take? What path do we want to be on? Conflict resolution is a good thing, and the key to it is humbling ourselves. Are you and I staying in God's will? I hope so, but that means that we do the things that God wants us to do, that we listen to his voice and we say, here's what he's telling me. We go to his word and we hear what God is speaking to us each day and we say, that's what I'm going to do today. That's what I'm going to share with others today. And then, of course, are we daily connecting with God through Bible study and prayer and going where God sends us? Do we connect with God regularly? It's my prayer that you and I will do these things regularly enough that when someone else sees us, they say, well, they certainly are following God. They are Abraham's children and heirs according to his promises. The promises God made him, they can be ours today if we will learn from our mistakes, humble ourselves, stay in God's will, and daily connect with him. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for being with us through this difficult time. Thank you for being with us as we studied your word. Would you bless us today? Keep us safe. Keep us in your love. Draw us ever closer to you, we ask in Jesus' name.